So it's my great pleasure to have with me down the phone my fellow GP, Dr. Wendy Burton. So Wendy, could you please um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Certainly. So I'm Wendy Burton. I'm a GP here in Brisbane, Australia. I'm the chair of the Antenatal Postnatal Specific Interest Group for the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. I have been a member of the steering committee for Queensland Statewide Maternity and Neonatal Clinical Network. I am the maternity lead for the Brisbane South Primary Health Network, but first and foremost, I'm a GP who's passionate about the care of uh, women in their maternity journeys and uh, wanting to improve outcomes for women and their children. Okay, postnatal. Yep, so um, so I might so, just... So Pam, there's, there's all sorts of things. That, so they're not going to want women to stay in hospital for, for any... So they're likely to be discharged quicker. Ah, oh, for um, sure. So my daughter's in but, New York, you know, and... Um, oh. It's, it's it's just it's quite um, uh, ex- uh, extraordinary, Wendy. Certainly, anyway. um, there's a, a catastrophe happening, um, and uh, Emma talks about the constant sound of sirens and then mm. gunshots. Um, so a week ago, she was at least out running on the streets. Now, they they don't leave the house, occasionally take the two kids out to the tiny little um, front yard um, mm. in front of their Brooklyn brownstone, um, but then wow. back into the tiny apartment where they're homeschooling yeah. and uh, sheltering. So yeah. um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just difficult to put into words the impact this has on families. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I should say that I mentioned this because in New York City at the moment, new mothers are being discharged from hospital less than 24 hours after a vaginal birth and uh, less than 48 hours after a caesarean. I suppose we should start first up with um, risks to newborns. Um, and I'd be interested to hear what your take is on the existing research, but it would seem that even if the mum has been diagnosed with COVID-19, the baby uh, may contract it, but on the whole doesn't seem to be showing symptoms. Now, would that be what you're seeing coming through as well? Yes, yes. So I think that fortunately this infection doesn't seem to be impacting upon children in the same way that it impacts upon adults. And we have precedents for this with hepatitis A and chickenpox. There's a number of infections where we see that. Uh, and that's, that's a blessing. Um, hmm. Yeah, so, so we'd still be wanting any woman who's showing concerning symptoms or who indeed has been tested positive for COVID-19 to be practicing scrupulous hand washing hygiene to be wearing a mask um, when she's in contact with her baby including with breastfeeding to be putting in place scrupulous hygiene practices with any pump that she's using Mm -hmm. including the hand washing but also the washing of of the pump equipment with soapy water but um Unfortunately, it would seem that, that the, the babies aren't succumbing yeah. but asymptomatic if they acquire the infection. The women will be at risk. You might like to speak to that a little. 
So Pam, I guess one of my concerns, so one, obviously we, we don't want to have a whole lot of prem babies at the time when our medical services are stretched beyond capacity. Yes. Uh, we don't want mums dying uh, and leaving dads with a newborn but no mum. You know, the, the social and the, the emotional impact of, of things like that are just almost unimaginable mm. um, in any great numbers. And so depending what our death rate works out to be, you know, this could be catastrophic. Mm. Uh, and, and, and societies generally have a very low threshold of tolerance for death in pregnant women or or, um, or babies. But, the, you know, the newborn period is hard enough as it is without mum being sick mm. or, or having to add in very strict, you know, mask and hand hygiene. And you and I know some folks just aren't resourced to do this. Mm. Um, uh, and so what does that mean in the household and the extra stress? And I'm, I'm ever so concerned with the economic impacts of this is having, yeah. uh, the, the, the domestic violence uh, risks here. And of course, yeah. the, ment- the mental health impacts oh, um, are just that's right. for, uh, enormous for women. The mental health impacts for particularly women um, post-birth, but parents post-birth of sheltering in the home of these circumstances just at a time when families are really needing to be socially networked and engaged with other caring people. That's yep. that's really of enormous concern, um, isn't it? I, I also wanted to add in, Wendy, that what we, we can speak to positively is that um, on the whole, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the, the COVID-19 virus, does seem to most dramatically affect the elderly. So the yep. the death rate drops if we move from the cohort of people in their 80s, the 70s, yes. Um, yes. 60s, 50s. So, so um, an otherwise healthy woman, either pregnant or in the post-birth period, is less likely to die. Yes. Although, of course, we know there's nevertheless risk. But but that's reassuring, isn't it, that the risk is significantly less for women in their 20s, 30s, even um, 40s yep. relative mm-hmm. to later in life. Absolutely. So I I guess um, it's in this post-birth space that, that I've been focusing my energies over the last two weeks as, as we've all been pivoting to a COVID-19 world. And in fact... We've set up a possums community room at 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. each day, Brisbane time, that's freely available for any parent really interested to connect with um, myself or Renee or one of our um, practitioners who are accredited in neuroprotective developmental care. So we've set mm-hmm. that up as a basic free community room that women, parents can zoom into each weekday. I, Which I, is lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, well, I'm just <laughs> hoping that, that um, we can spread the word about that. And, Wendy, yes. we've also set up Community Room Calendar and we're looking for parents who are willing to donate some time to give freely mm-hmm. of their time for any little activity. And you don't have to be the world's best expert, you know, but there might be something that you'd like to share with other women who have babies or other parents who have babies and uh, this is an opportunity to do it. So if you look at possumsclinic.com 
under mm-hmm. uh, groups, group sessions, you'll, you'll find um, these services being offered now. And it's just been remarkable the way our little team at Possums for Parents with Babies has worked around the clock to, to put these into place. Um, mm-hmm. There's always the PIPS peer support that offers a, a wealth of video and, and text support for parents post-birth, but also a closed Facebook group that's growing very rapidly as parents turn online to look for support. Mm. And, and within that, there's groups that are being set up um, to meet regularly, but then there's the broader closed Facebook group as well for support. So that's what we've been doing there. And then, of course, we have our programs available online, whether it's sleep or the breastfeeding, um, which is a cost-effective way of, of mm. offering support for these problems that so commonly arise in early life. And, and mm. you know, the first 100 days is, is that mm. in particular, you know, is a time of exquisite neuroplasticity. for that baby so we have the mental health risks to the woman and actually whilst I'm always at pains to emphasize the extraordinary resilience of our families and of our babies there will be that cohort who are already vulnerable for either you know genetic or psychosocial reasons to less than optimal developmental outcomes and this is the cohort that, that I'm particularly afraid for. We're particularly focused as a, a little charity ourselves, but I think more broadly societally on supporting through, through the pandemic times, mm. you know, with, with social networks, with affordable or free programs, and then with the telemedicine access to your GP or indeed other health professionals. Did I say, Wendy, that we've just set up I think I said this, but the possumsclinic.com is now offering um, telehealth um, online consultations by NDC accredited practitioners um, to, to parents just by clicking through without, you know, it's all integrated now. And, and you know, I think that it's wonderful that um, we now have uh, some Medicare funding, even though it's a small amount, but it just helps us to bring services to areas actually that haven't had them before so while we look to to look after our own local communities of course there's the opportunity for this to go broader uh, with appropriately skilled um, practitioners so it's just amazing it's just honestly I'm working harder and earning less is what's happening at the moment and I think it's Uh, it's true for all of us Um, and look the truth is of course with the devastating um, loss of income, loss of jobs for so many families, the safety netting of bulk-billed telehealth services will be absolutely essential. But um, general practices, of course, are going to find it very difficult to survive through this. So Mm. let's hope that we do see the capacity to charge that gap Mm. um, where families are able to afford it. For the shrinking percentage of our population who will be able to afford it, that's it. Uh, and they're going to keep that it must be bulk built for concession card holders and there's going to be a whole lot more of those. Mm. Um, mm. But, but as you say, you know, at, we're, so we're actually, we're fortunate. Everyone's going to do it hard. Well, almost everyone's going to do it hard. And um, yeah. I think we just have to, to um, harden up and, and do our best. But if it sends us all broke, that's 
that's not a win. Well, it's not a win for for Australia. So okay, so so I think so. Perhaps if I just say that the the uh, Medicare funding um, of the Medicare funding for telehealth options uh, has just created new opportunities uh, for us to connect with patients. Uh, in innovative ways that are actually more consumer-friendly uh, and that give us the potential to provide services to a much wider audience than perhaps we previously were able to. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, yeah. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think I'd also like to reflect about the very high levels of inappropriate medicalisation, actually, that, that our um, new families do experience within the health system as it's existed prior to the pandemic. You know that um, one of the first things new parents will tell us as GPs or as health professionals more broadly is that they're receiving huge amounts of conflicting and confusing advice, often Mm -hmm. advice that directly contradicts with advice Mm -hmm. given by another trusted health professional. Mm -hmm. And as a result, up until the pandemic, parents have sought the help of multiple health professionals. And often, of course, there's within even one parenting centre, there may be lack of continuity of care. So within the hospital setting, lots of conflicting advice from different health professionals, discharge, come to a parenting centre, and also a lack of continuity of care and lots of conflicting advice. So it's been a terrible problem. And I would argue that this even if it's through the necessity of economics, becomes the, the, the time for our health system in Australia to do a reset and to start to look at consistent evidence-based care for our families with babies, even if it's from a health system point of view, to drive down costs and to address this extremely expensive fragmentation of care. You know, it's a time when primary care should be absolutely supported as the most cost-effective way to be delivering services to new families. And in fact, we may see as, as the world reconfigures after this, this extraordinary global event, a diminution of some of the residential services that are being offered for very common problems of sleep, unsettled behaviour, feeding problems. These could actually be, if we had some consistent evidence-based um, programs more broadly in play dealt with very effectively in the primary care setting without the need for very expensive residential options. And then, of course, you and I and others have been calling for more appropriate mother-baby units for those women who are really at the severe end of the spectrum and needing support for mental illness. There's not been enough of that, and yet at the same time we've had very expensive options for what should be common problems effectively dealt with in primary care if only we had the, the programs in place across disciplines. Also, you know, if we look at things like the incredibly high rates of phrenotomy, indeed laser phrenotomy and so forth for babies with breastfeeding problems or, you know, the, the high rates of pharmaceutical intervention for babies with fussing behaviours. Um, these are absolutely not evidence-based other than perhaps for a classic tongue tie. You can never say never in medicine, but on the whole we've got an extraordinary picture of inappropriate medicalization of um, our, our babies who are showing breastfeeding or unsettled behaviour problems. And this becomes a time 
when we can do a pivot towards a more um, uh, biologically aligned, much more cost-effective um, set of um, approaches for dealing with these very common problems. Yeah, so Pam, I think it's actually, as awful as it is, it, it will be a great opportunity for us when it's all done and dusted to have a look at our own data and, and perhaps at worldwide data, but actually see what worked. So what was safe? What was effective? What was cost effective? You know, when when the pressure is on and you, you only have funding for this much care, mm. where's the evidence that that's the best value? And I, I do see that, that some of the things that we have traditionally done, we simply won't do anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at the opportunities actually that come out of this, you know, the car parks that don't need to be built, waiting rooms that don't need to be so built, uh, so big, um, the wasted time in travel and in waiting. Uh, what if we, we kept some of the telehealth options where those are appropriate um, and just just really did a hard rethink of why do we do this? Is it is it tradition? Uh, is it is it um, you know this ideology? Um, what does what does the evidence actually tell us? Because as you and I know, a lot of the the things that are done, especially intervention in early childhood, it it, it, it breaks down by sector. It breaks down by um, you know which tribe you belong to, and there's a whole lot of things that are done and can very confusing for parents, very um, inappropriate care in some in some cases. And when all of this is done and dusted, I think it'll be very interesting to have a look uh, and see what does the data tell us and how can we do this better and in a more effective and a more cost-effective way going forward. That's right. So in fact, this time of, of things falling apart really, of of extraordinary societal health system disruption becomes an opportunity for transformation, mm. doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even personally, I have to say, Wendy, that it we're certainly facing every day the question of what really matters. What yeah. really oh, matters? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So, you know, I am so grateful to you for the opportunity to have this conversation. We have often sat down over lunch or coffee and enjoyed um, this kind of wide-ranging conversation about a topic that's so close to both of our hearts, the care of women and their babies or the care of families and their babies. And so I guess in the midst of the exhaustion of, of working so hard for both of us. It's a real pleasure to have had some of your time for this chat. Oh, Pam, thank you very much. And uh, please continue uh, the very good work that you're doing. Uh, and uh, when all of this is over, I look forward to an, a love, lovely long lunch in a restaurant. That's right. Uh, with a, that's right being, with able, being able to give you a hug. Yeah, um, that's, that's it. That's it, Wendy. Yeah. And again, you continue with my blessing all the fabulous work that you're, you're doing right now. So take lots of care. Yes, you too, Pam. Take care. Well, thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company. And remember to check out the non-profit website, possumsonline.com, for lots of free resources and programs. 
and the publications that form the evidence base to neuroprotective developmental care or the possums programs. As together, we grow joy in early life. I hope you tune in again soon. Bye for now.